Uh, if you are a guest, welcome. We're so glad that you are here. We are in the middle of a sermon series called I've Got Questions. And the goal of this series is to really take some really challenging questions and unpack them together at church. Uh, now, if you are a guest, today's topic is not the most fun topic in the world. We're going to specifically talk about pain and suffering. That's not exactly something that, man, it just gives you the warm fuzzies where you're like, oh, feels so good. Love to talk about that. And yet it's an important topic because it's something that at some point in your life you will experience. Everyone in this room is in one of three categories. Either you are at a stage in life where you have not experienced really deep, just soul crushing pain yet. You are in a place in life right now where you are currently going through really deep soul crushing pain, or you are in a place in life where you have gone through, although you are not currently going through deep soul crushing pain. So that's just the truth of how this life works. And as opposed to avoiding difficult topics, what we'll find today is if we lean in, Scripture gives us a lot of understanding and empathy about even challenging conversations. Now, I will freely admit up front that this is a deep topic, and unless we wanted to stay for the next eight hours, we won't be able to fully go through all the details of what you could go into in this topic. And so here's my challenge for you. If you're here and after today, you'd say, I would like to know more. The good question is there is a lot more that you can find on the internet. I would challenge you to, to look up a guy named William Lane Craig. I'll quote him today. William Lane Craig does an amazing job of dealing with the topic. And so if you get done with today and you're just not satisfied, don't stop. Because one of the great things about Christianity is for every question that you might have, there is a really articulate, intelligent answer to that question. You just have to put a little bit of effort into finding the answer. So let's humbly pray before we dive into a difficult topic. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God that, that does not ask us to check our brains at the door. God, that you... Uh, want us to strive to, to find truth and to strive to find meaning and understanding. And so as we unpack something that is just so personal and so deep, and we, we all experience at some point in this life, God, we pray that you would speak in a powerful way, help me to get out of the way, uh, Lord, and, and help us to experience the truth of your word in a way that changes us not just today, but for the rest of our life. This is our prayer, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. I wanna start with a question. It's a challenging question and it's this, can something be true even if it does not always feel like it's true? So when we think about God, here's three different things. If you hang out in church a lot, you'll hear attributed to God, that God is loving, that God is good, that God is in control. And I believe that all three things that are up on the screen are true. We teach them to kids, we teach them to adults. We say those things or expressions we have inside of church. And I believe them to be true. And yet there are moments in life when those things don't feel true. There's moments in life personally where you walk through a season of pain, of suffering, of sorrow, of sickness, of death. And in those moments, it causes you to not feel like God in those moments is loving or good or in control. You don't have to look very far in the world around us to recognize there's a lot of evil in this world. 
And so when you see evil happening, when you see children starving to death, when you see genocide, when you see acts of war, of violence, it's hard to look at those things and not struggle with those things and ask some questions of why. God, how could you allow these things to happen? And this is not a new question. This is a question that humanity has been struggling with since the creation of humanity. There's a famous guy named Epicurus. Epicurus lived 300 years before Jesus. Here's what Epicurus wrote famously. He said, is God willing to prevent evil, but not able? Then he is not omnipotent. Is he able, but not willing? Then he is malevolent. Is he both able and willing? Then whence cometh evil? Is he neither able nor willing? Then why call him God? And so really to summarize, it's simply this question right here. It's if God is so good, then why is there pain and suffering? Here's at least some help. The Bible does not ignore this subject. As a matter of fact, the Bible does not shy away from suffering. The Bible is full of the topic and conversation of suffering. Let's look at a few scriptures together. Uh, in Psalm chapter 6, verse 3, it says, My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? And the psalmist is writing and saying, God, my soul is troubled. I'm, I'm struggling. I'm in pain. And then cries out and says, but where are you? But you, O Lord, you're not here. I'm going through this and I don't see you. In Psalm chapter 10, verse 1, the psalmist says, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Have you ever felt that before? Maybe you're feeling that right now. You're crying out to God. Your prayers don't feel like they're being answered or they're being heard. You're going through pain and struggling and suffering and you cry out, God, where are you? Why am I going through this alone? I don't understand. There's whole books in the Bible, like the book of Job that really wrestles with this idea of pain and suffering. There's multiple times in the Bible where we see what's called lament poems. Uh, to lament is sorrow and pain. We have an entire book in the Bible called the book of Lamentations. It's about crying out to God in pain and suffering. But a lament poem has these three things in common, that they are protesting the suffering in the world. It's saying, God, why is this happening? God, I don't understand why this is happening. God, this shouldn't happen. That lament poems, they voice confusion to God. And sometimes we falsely think inside the church that, that we should never doubt. We should never question. We should never struggle. And yet those are all attributes that we find in Scripture. They're all characteristics that people in Scripture struggle with. And the Bible is full of those concerns and challenges. The lament poems express pain and emotion to God, sometimes in sadness, sometimes in anger, all kinds of different emotions that you and I face that the entire book of Lamentations, it's five chapters. Each one of those chapters is a different poem. All of those poems are crying out to God with questions and with pain and with suffering. The book of Lamentations is written in a time when the nation of Israel has been sacked 
The foreign invaders had come in and they've destroyed the city and they've taken everybody captive. It's written from a standpoint of immense questioning and immense pain and immense sorrow. Children are murdered, wives, husbands, killed. The entire book is questioning, God, why is this happening? In addition to that, in Psalms, you have chapter 10, 63, 69, 74, 79. Those are all lament poems. So scripture does not shy away from the fact that there is pain and suffering in this world. And so let's unpack together the why. And I want to start up front by recognizing it's something that William Lane Craig does a really great job of articulating by putting pain and suffering into two different categories. First is the intellectual problem of pain and suffering. And secondly, there is the emotional problem of pain and suffering. From an intellectual standpoint, understanding the why, how could this happen? Why would God let this happen? We'll unpack that first. But the much more challenging question is the emotional problem of pain. When you personally are feeling it and walking through it, what do you do with it? How do you affect it? What's that challenge look like? So on the intellectual side, let's just simply start with this question. Is there ever a time when pain is beneficial? So stop thinking theology for a second and just think in your life, have you as an individual or maybe you as a parent, have you ever had a time in life where you recognize that pain has value? A few years ago, we took our son to the doctor. I happened to be there with, uh, with Lauren and the kids and he had to get a shot. And when you have a really young kid get a shot, they don't know any better. And so they don't start crying until after the shot. But as they get bigger, they start to figure it out. And so he was big enough to understand the pain that was coming. And he did not want to experience the pain. And so he started crying and he started fighting. And we tried the rational approach of explaining how this is beneficial for him and this is good for him and this is in the long run a healthy thing for him. And that did not matter. And so ultimately what had to happen is I physically restrained him while they gave him the shot. Now, fortunately, now a few years later, he is great with it, which is a faster learner than me because I found out from my mom, I had to be physically restrained when I was 12. Uh, and I was a big 12 year old. So that, that caused some problems. But pain, although difficult, uh, we as mom and dad could see the benefit of it. Not, not that long ago, a few weeks ago, our daughter Evie, who's four, she got a big old splinter in her hand like a massive splinter. And she got it outside from some really gross wood. And so she has this big old splinter and we take her inside and we say, we've got to get this splinter out so it doesn't get infected. So let me go get the tweezers. And guess what she did? She ran away screaming and yelling. And so for the next hour, it was like a hostage negotiation. I'm trying to explain to her how this is beneficial and it's not gonna hurt, it's gonna be really quick, it's gonna be really easy. And we're going back and forth and back and forth and having this conversation. And ultimately after probably 90 minutes of having this conversation, we pinned her down, got the tweezers and took out the splinter. Probably years from now, she's gonna have therapy and, and all kinds of problems and it's gonna go back to that moment. But why do we do it? We did it because did we know that it would be a little bit painful to, to use the tweezers to get out the splinter? Yes, but we knew that it would be far more painful if we allowed that splinter to become infected and cause way bigger problems 
on down the line. Surgery is the same way. No one gets surgery because it feels good. I've got jaw surgery coming up, May 22nd. When they describe that whole process, it sounds awful. It sounds terrible. There's nothing about it that's like, man, I want that. I am looking forward. Oh, sounds so good. No, why am I doing it? Because there's a long-term benefit. If I don't do it, it's negative for me long-term. So the short-term pain is worth it because of long-term benefit. So if we, as finite human beings, can comprehend that sometimes pain can have a purpose, then does God have a reason for pain? William Lane Craig writes it exactly like this. He says, if in our finite existence, we can understand the role of pain, is it possible for an infinite God to allow pain in our lives for a reason? So what might that look like? The first thing that we have to come to grips with is what is the purpose of our life? Why did God create us? Because sometimes we have a false idea of life. We have a false idea that, well, God made you and God made me just so that we could be happy. But you know, that's not true. That the purpose of life is not human happiness. Instead, the purpose is knowing God and eternal life. Now, now that's a really important first step to understanding this whole issue of pain. Because if the whole purpose of your life, if the purpose of my life, if God just said, I'm gonna create you for nothing but happiness, then pain and suffering contradicts that. It doesn't make any sense. And so if I live life and I say, hey, I don't care about anything else. I just wanna be happy all the time. I never wanna be sad. I never wanna have pain and sorrow. But that's not the point of life. If God only wanted to create humans for happiness, then in the Garden of Eden, he wouldn't have given them a choice. He wouldn't have had a tree that allowed a wrong choice. He would have just said, hey, you're you're just going to be happy all the time. And yet he didn't do that. Why? There was something deeper that God was trying to accomplish. Uh, Here, William Lane Craig goes on to say this, many evil Pains, sufferings occur that don't create human happiness, but they do exist to serve God's broader purpose. So what then is God's broader purpose? It's this right here. It's that God's purpose in human history is to bring the maximum number of people freely into his kingdom to find salvation and eternal life. That God uses pain and suffering in this world to point us, direct us, aim us towards the gospel, towards God. That if God wanted to, he could have just created us like robots. No choice whatsoever. Adam and Eve in the garden, you can't choose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so you're just gonna follow me all the time. And yet he doesn't do that. He gives us choice. What does God accomplish by giving us choice. Because the moment God gives us a choice that is not him, it allows pain and suffering. The moment God gives us a choice that's not him and his holiness, it means that there is the allowance of sin. Now now understand there's a distinction there. It doesn't mean that God is causing pain and suffering. It doesn't mean that God is causing sin, but it means that he is allowing it. Why? Because we can't choose God unless we have another option. Ravi Zachariah, the way that he unpacks it is like this. He says, the supreme ethic that God has given to us 
is the ethic of love. You can never have love without the freedom to choose. God's supreme goal for us is to love God and love others. That love cannot exist in your life, in my life, in this world, unless there's a choice. And so God desiring for us to experience both his love for us and giving us the ability to love him. And through that love that we experience with God, we also get the ability to love one another that that love does not exist if we're simply robots. And so you ask, well, why doesn't God stop bad things from happening? It's because if God doesn't allow choice, then he doesn't allow love. By giving us choice, we have the ability to experience God and experience the fullness of God's love. And so there's an intellectual answer to the problem of evil the existence of pain and suffering. But do you know that doesn't really fix the emotional problem? That you can have all the right rational explanation and understanding, but when you go through really challenging and painful times in life, it doesn't matter because of the way that you feel. When my wife and I, when we lost our daughter, when our daughter died, I had been through seminary. I'd been a pastor for a long time. I knew the intellectual answer to the question. And yet I can promise you that in those moments, it didn't matter. When you have those waves of grief that just crash over you, when you have just soul sucking pain and sorrow, the intellectual answer doesn't matter. It's just about how you feel in those moments. And then sadly inside the church, we have a lot of people that give really bad advice and answers. That if you've been around the church for any amount of time and something bad happens to you, people will come up and they'll say one of two things. They'll either say, hey, God has a plan. God's using this in his plan, which is technically true, but you really don't wanna feel that or hear that at the moment. Or they'll say, hey, God's using this for his good and God's using it for your good. And can I tell you that when I was in that really dark moment of pain and suffering, as a pastor who had been through seminary, when Christians would come and say that to me, I wanted to pastorally punch them in the face. In love. Because it doesn't matter in those moments that that's true. It doesn't feel true. And, and just to, to clarify a little bit about our understanding of that, uh, when, when scripture teaches us very clearly in Romans that all things work together for the good of those who love God and have been called according to his commands, what that's saying is that ultimately God is sovereign and everything works out according to his plan. But that does not mean that in every moment of my life, it's gonna feel good for me. It means that if I love him, that ultimately it works out. It's, it's a hope pointing ahead to what's next, but it doesn't mean that in this moment, in this life, the pain and suffering that exists will always feel good. I think that's one of the challenges when there's bad teaching inside the church. We can falsely have the idea that if I love God, nothing bad ever happens, and that's not true. Scripture is filled with pain and suffering. And the other thing that you gotta realize when you go through pain and suffering is that you really never move past it. Sometimes if you know someone who's been through pain and suffering or you yourself have been through pain and suffering, there's this idea that people have of, well, you just need to get over it. And can I promise you that when you experience true deep pain and suffering, you never get over it. You never get past it. You learn how to live with it, but you never get past it. The best example someone gave us was 
It's like having an open, gaping wound. And that wound will never heal. Now you figure out how to live with the wound. You, you figure out the right way to move forward with it, but it doesn't take it away. And so what do we do with the emotional side of pain and suffering? Well, the first thing to recognize and understand is that God really does love you and love me. And God loved us so much that he sent Jesus and Jesus steps into human history in order to suffer first with us and then for us. That we have a God that, that can understand and relate to any pain that you might ever go through in your life because we have a God that loved us so much, he was willing to step into the pain and suffering. Multiple times in the New Testament, Jesus sees pain, he sees suffering, he sees the marginalized, and it says that he has compassion on them. That word compassion means to suffer with. The Jesus, when you are going through pain and suffering, is suffering alongside you. But in addition to that, there's this hope that because of what Jesus did on the cross, that there's something else. And not only does he suffer with your pain, but more importantly, God redeems your pain. Now there's this fascinating exchange that happens in Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse two. It starts by saying, now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ. So pause a little bit for context. It's talking about John the Baptist. So John the Baptist is the cousin of Jesus. They grew up together. They would have been friends together. They knew each other. In addition to that, John knows that his life is he is the harbinger for the Messiah. He's the prophet crying out, making way for the Messiah. So John the Baptist's life from the time he was young knew that he was gonna be all about making the way clear for the Lord. And so he's out in the desert, he's doing all these things, he's making way for the Messiah and then he gets arrested. And so you can just imagine John the Baptist, he's sitting in prison. He's like, well, I keep hearing these miracles that Jesus is doing. Jesus is my cousin, who I believe to be the Messiah. He's doing all these amazing things and he's probably wondering to himself, but why am I sitting in prison? How come I'm not a part of it? How come I'm not doing anything else? So he is suffering in prison, and this is what he does. It says, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, to Jesus, are you the one who is to come? Are you the Messiah? Or shall we look for another? And it says, and Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. Now, now he ticks off kind of this checklist. He says, the blind received their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And now we don't quite understand what Jesus is quoting, but he's referencing the book of Isaiah. There's a number of famous passages about the Messiah, about signs that the Messiah would bring with him. And so Jesus is quoting those famous passages. He's giving encouragement to John. The Baptist, he's saying the Messiah was going to do these things. He was gonna make the blind see and he was gonna heal and he was gonna raise the dead to life. And he's telling John's disciples, go tell him that you are seeing all those things. They're evidence that I am the Messiah. But 
What John would recognize from that list is that Jesus intentionally leaves out one of the attributes of the Messiah. Uh, there's a few famous passages in Isaiah that Jesus is quoting from 26, 19, 29, 18 through 19, Isaiah 61, 1. But there's one specific, very famous phrase that's in that passage in Isaiah that says this. It says that the Messiah has come to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. So Jesus is saying, hey, here are all the miracles that I'm doing. But intentionally, what does he not tell John, who's sitting in prison, that the captives will be free? What's the message that Jesus is sending to John? He's saying, you're not getting out. He's not sending the message that I'm going to come for you, I'm going to get you out of prison. And if you know the story, you know that not long after that, a few chapters later, John the Baptist is murdered by Herod. Now, there's a part of that that doesn't make sense, does it? That this is Jesus' cousin. He loves John the Baptist. He knows John the Baptist. But the message he's sending to John is what? He's saying, John, I am the Messiah, but my purpose in this life is bigger than right now. It, could Jesus have freed John the Baptist from prison? He absolutely could have. But Jesus is saying that the main purpose of me coming, of suffering in this world is ultimately because I've come to redeem the pain and the suffering, redeem the sin of this world, redeem all of God's creation. And Jesus is saying, I can't get distracted from that for your momentary happiness. So John the Baptist, his beloved family member, is left to suffer so that Jesus wouldn't get distracted away from the most important thing to him. And what was the most important thing to him? Dying on the cross. That in our momentary affliction, Paul talks about it all the time, that in our momentary affliction, it doesn't make sense. But when we look ahead to the glory of the future, God does redeem all things. But you have to have this eternal perspective when I'm walking through pain, when I'm walking through suffering, I have to first know that I have a God who does love me and who suffered with me, but ultimately that God loved me so much that he died on the cross for my sins. And in doing so, what does he create the, the future doorway towards? The future doorway towards uh, in the life beyond this life, all of my pain and all of my suffering is redeemed. That because of what Jesus did on the cross, there's no pain that I go through here in this place that is just empty or worthless, that God is using it both in my life and in his redemptive story of history. That's why in Revelation, it says that there's no pain, there's no suffering, there's no sorrow, that God wipes every tear from our eye. Now, it doesn't mean that I understand it. That didn't make it any easier for John the Baptist. He still didn't understand it. And yet God loved him enough to die on the cross for him. He didn't always make him happy, but he did something more significant in the long run. There's a, a great sermon by a, a pastor named Reverend Frank P. Manhart, lived a couple hundred years ago. Here's what he wrote. He said, a human life in its natural course must face ever-changing problems, and often they are or seem baffling. 
Must one then yield to doubts and fears or may his life be free from anxiety? May one's life move on with persistent steadfastness, yet with peace like a river, a river whose surface is ruffled by boisterous winds, but whose whole volume moves quietly, calmly, but ever onward toward its ocean home. By grace, such a peace may be his whose mind is stayed on God, our Father in heaven, who loves as only a heavenly Father can love. He's saying, you're gonna go through pain. You're gonna go through struggle. You're gonna go through challenges. There's gonna be moments in life where there are ups and downs. And yet, if you have God in your life, it doesn't mean that you don't go through those pains. It means you're not alone when you're walking through those pains. That when you are in the absolute bottom of life and you have nowhere to turn, the scripture says that we can have a peace beyond understanding. It doesn't mean we don't have hurt. It means in the midst of that hurt, we don't understand the answer, but we can say, I have God. And we can look ahead to a hope. There's a lot of movies that you and I watch that the ending is not a great ending. My mom will not watch a movie that has a bad ending. My mom, don't ever ask her about a movie before you watch it because before she watches a movie, she Googles it and she reads the end of a movie. And if it's an unhappy ending, she just says, I'm done. I'm not, I'm not gonna, I won't watch it. But every good movie has challenge, has tension, has pain, but then has redemption at the end. But the redemption is so much sweeter because of the challenge and the pain. And here's what God is saying about your story and my story is you might be in the middle of a chapter that is rough and painful, but God has written the end. And the end is full of hope and joy and love. And so lean into him and let him work in your life. Let him work in the story and see what he'll do at the end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's a challenging topic to come together, especially for anyone in the room that is currently walking through pain and suffering. God, we thank you that you are a God that does not shy away from tough things. God, that, that your scriptures are filled with all kinds of different pains, all kinds of different emotions. And whatever we go through in this life, there's something in your book, in your word that, that can relate to the exact season that we're in. And so God, I right now specifically pray for the people in this room that are walking through pain, walking through darkness, walking through suffering. God, those that are angry, those that are guilty, those that are, that are crying out to you, Lord, I pray that in this season, you would speak to them in a powerful way. Draw them close. Give them that peace that passes understanding. Though they might not ever understand, God, help them to learn to trust and to lean into you. Help them to know that you do redeem all things. And we love you, Lord. In the name of Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.